Yeah, we got we got uh, his business cards. It's called Fast Lane, one word, products in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Fast Lane Products. That was the voice of owner operator Darren Ayers, detailing the name of the company based in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, that built a unique sleeper setup in his Mercedes Sprinter cargo van, leased to Landstar. The approximately eight feet of space the sleeper takes up behind the seats features a couple bunks along one wall, sink, and other elements he details in this edition of the Overdrive Radio podcast. I'm Todd Dills, and in this week's podcast, Ayers also runs through how he and his co-owner-operator wife, Trish, got into their current operation in 2017, downsizing from a tractor-trailer, hauling mostly in the security-sensitive military freight niche. That's right. Unlike many who run in cargo vans, the Ayers operation requires a Class A CDL and hazmat endorsements on much of the freight they run. Generally, too, they're able to maintain profit levels a cut above, even with a lot of deadhead miles, which is relatively common in the expedited freight world. Before we get there, though, a note left on our podcast message line from a North Carolina-based trucker you might call Exhibit A in the fight for respect on the road. The caller was responding to our coverage of CVSA's uh, policy directives to state law enforcement uh, issued months back that basically attempts to make official a practice that ought to be uh, proceeding from, from anyone with a concern for basic human dignity. The CBSA policy urges enforcement not to interrupt drivers' off-duty periods, uh, their sleeper periods, for the purpose of doing any inspection. Hi, my name is Marty. I'm out of Harrisburg, North Carolina. And in regard to inspectors waking up drivers in rest areas or resting drivers, <clears throat> I was in a situation um, two years back, running down 85 South, about 11:30 at night, bobtailing, and uh, got pulled over by a state trooper. Pulled into the rest area at the 100 mile marker, and. Uh, I wanted to know where the other guy's logbook was. I told him uh, he's just a friend riding with me and uh, he wanted to see my log and said I haven't been running over the road for a while and so he did an inspection on my truck. All I was doing was running empty trailers up to Greensboro out of Charlotte that particular day and the last few days. So uh, he decided to do an inspection. The whole time he did an inspection and this is 1130 to midnight he had his flashing lights on in the rest area with his external speaker turned on full blast so all the radio transmissions were echoing off of the trucks and the trees just unbelievable man I didn't want to say anything because I knew that wouldn't be where I want to go and uh, get me in more trouble so anyway my inspection was clean and all that but um, that officer obviously had no respect for truckers at all and that should be also um, illegal to do, making all that noise in a rest area where drivers are sleeping. A big thanks to Marty for shining a light on this incident. If you've seen similar out there, our podcast voicemail line is 530-408-6423. Note your name and base state with any message. Now back to our principal guest this week. Here's more from cargo van owner Rob Darren Ayers, who starts by laying out the basics of he and his wife's history, both having retired from the military before going trucking. Trish and I are based out of Arkadelphia, Arkansas, a town right off of Interstate 
thirty, about an hour uh, south of Little Rock. Are yeah, you are you both up. from that area originally? I am. I am. My family's from here. Uh, we were in Tampa for almost twenty years prior, which is where Trish is from, the Tampa, Florida area. Uh, sure. One of the things, of course, that we noticed is is prevalent in any form of trucking is there's not a lot comes out of Florida. There's quite a bit goes in, but not much comes out. So it uh, mm-hmm. it worked out well for us to relocate back to to my hometown, where we're a little more centrally located with uh, some of the freight lines. In terms of you guys as a team and uh, you individually, uh, what's what's your history in trucking look like? Uh, did you were you always um... Uh, in, a, in a smaller uh, vehicle in a cargo van or uh, have uh, other experience in your past? Well, Trish and I are both retired from the military. Uh, we we military 38 years ago, and and we ended up kind of in different branches down along the line with uh, Reserve and National Guard. But we both retired from there a handful of years ago, and we weren't real sure what we wanted to do next. I had uh, a Class B license where I had done some charter bus work in past years. And so we said, well, I I guess until we know exactly what we want to do next, uh, I'll just upgrade my Class B to a Class A. And about six months after I did, she did the same thing. She went and and got her Class A using GI Bill uh, and came out on the road with me. We had a, a lease truck for a little while, and then we... We bought our own truck, a used one, and uh, ran it for a year uh, to a year and a half until we were able to then take our truck and move it over to Landstar, who we've been with now for the past four years. We moved to the cargo van from the tractor trailer in November of uh, 2017, so about a year and a half ago. You know, I I try to get as much knowledge as I can before I I make a shift. So I had really yeah. researched the cargo van side before we decided to downsize from the tractor trailer. And we uh, with Landstar, we had moved into a niche with the uh, with the A and E uh, or A A and E, uh, as the yeah. industry calls it, the arms, ammunition, and explosive side of the house and. Uh, so with Landstar, since we were already in that niche, we were able to downsize to the cargo van and remain in that niche. Uh, and I think that's what's made it successful for us, is being in that particular line of uh, of transportation hauling. I imagine, as others uh, I've talked to have, have said over the years, um, when you're talking about freight, uh, military freight, that's that's the place you want to be uh, when it comes to earning potential. And um, it's what I'm, I've heard from some others about cargo vans is, uh, is, is correct. That may even be more true there. It's kind of, for us, for us as much as anything, it's kind of like being back in the military family again. We're we're familiar with uh, the eccentricities that go along with being uh, uh, on military installations and uh, security clearances, we already had those, so it worked well for us. But you pretty much do that exclusively. Yes, 
Yeah, on very rare occasions, we may get an agent that calls us to want us to pick up something if we're in the area, um, but rarely are they willing to come up to the um, uh, the price that we're used to getting working as a team uh, hauling the A&E. So when we tell them, say, look, if I take your load, that means I'm going to have to forgo the opportunity uh, on one of the other higher paying loads. So if you can meet the price that I would expect to get, then we'll haul your load. And usually they end up going another direction and not using us. If you walk me through some of that, some of that research that went into Cargo Van uh, when you were getting into it and why you ultimately decided to do it. Well, the first thing I wanted to research was talking with other Landstar Express uh, A&E teams that are in a cargo van out there right now. And there's there's a couple of handfuls of them that are out there doing it. And I wanted to find out, you know, how difficult it was for them to find enough loads that would be small enough um, to fit into the cargo van and if there were plenty of loads out there. Um, the answer I got from the teams I talked with was, yeah, they're out there. You know, there's not near as many loads as there would be for the straight truck or even if you went to the tractor trailer. But one of the things we had noticed in our tractor trailer was we were already hauling a lot of loads in that 53-foot dry box that would have fit in a cargo van. So we felt fairly confident that we'd be able to move into it. Uh, then the question came down to um, which cargo van? Uh, do we want to go with the the Chrysler product or the Ford or, or the Mercedes, those three are primarily the, the ones to consider. And basically nobody builds one with as much cargo space as the Mercedes. Uh, it's a good foot and a half to two feet longer than the longest Ford there is out there. Uh, and we knew we wanted a minimum of eight feet of cargo space and eight feet of sleeper space behind the driver's seat and the the Mercedes was the only one that provided that. So then we okay. just had to hunt around to find the right uh, the right dealer and then the right upfitter uh, to get it set up to where we would be comfortable and capable out on the road. Yeah, tell me about that upfitting process and um, uh, and the sleeper particularly because that, that's something that I haven't seen a lot of for sure. I've seen some. Uh, uh, vans out, out, out equipped with sleepers, but uh, for, for a team, I imagine that's uh, uh, a bigger undertaking than what I've seen. Well, we had found, I, I wasn't interested in, in taking it up myself and doing the upfit personally. Uh, so I had found some online that were very industrial, uh, aluminum, gray vinyls, etc. very cold, hard, industrial type upfit. But the guy we bought from, the dealership we bought from at the uh, uh, Fort Mitchell, Kentucky, Mercedes dealer, he had used a, a small, I call him a boutique upfitter in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, who had a real strong, his family had a strong RV background. And he sure. listened to what we wanted, and he ended up uh, building for us and, and upfitting it to where it looks like a regular RV. Uh, in the sleeper side, it's it's wood grain cabinets, it's uh, uh, a vinyl wood plank looking floor. It, it's just you know it's just a very very nice setup. The cargo van is narrower than the sleepers in both the straight trucks and the uh, semis, so yeah. 
being able to sleep from side to side was not an option for me being six foot tall. So we put in two bunk beds that run lengthwise on the van behind the driver's side, which is why I needed the eight foot of, of length was to be able to get two yeah. bunk beds. Um, that would be long enough for me to stretch out and sleep in. So we had it all set up uh, through him with a, a 3,000 watt inverter. Um, we don't have a, an APU, uh, but the inverter seems to work very well for us it, with an auxiliary battery that all charges off of the motor. Um, right. It's just a real nice setup, but it gives us eight feet of cargo space in the back. We got the, um, the Mercedes 3500 with the super single rear wheels. So it's uh, under 10,000 gross, but with the super singles, I've got 48 inches between wheel wells, so I can put two pallets flat on the floor. With the dual wheels okay. on the Mercedes or the others, uh, you can't do that. You would have to build a platform to put in two pallets. So we're able to get two pallets in, eight feet of length, uh, 2,000 pounds after our upfit. We have 2,000 pounds of cargo space available. Keeps us under 10,000. Uh, which also keeps us um, in many states from being considered even a cargo van if we're not carrying hazardous material or a placarded load. So being at 10,000 or under, um, we're able to run without logbooks when we're empty, deadheading, et cetera, along that line. And how much of a percentage of your your hauls are, uh, are, are hazmat placarded or not? Because of our location um, and the places that are closest to us to pick up from, I'd say probably 80% of our loads are uh, are hazardous material. Um, we might pick up 15 to 20%. That is not, but we do a lot of, of hazmat loads. You have to have a you actually have to have CDL um, to do those, right? You do. I know yes. cargo van. You don't really need a CDL otherwise, right? Correct, correct. Now, part of Landstar's requirements, and uh, we really enjoy being with Landstar, and part of their requirement is a minimum of a uh, of a Class B, regardless of what category of vehicle um, you're transporting goods in. You have to have a minimum of a Class B. So, yeah. you know, we had we had our Class A's with hazmat to start with, so it wasn't an issue for us. Yep. As Darren intimates, uh, hazmat placardable loads in a cargo van require all that a tractor-trailer would require of the driver in terms of licensing and credentialing, minus some of the transmission gears, of course. All of that includes one of the principal things that under uh, 10,001 pound haulers avoid, the federal hours of service rule and that thing that everybody loves to hate, the electronic logbook. Here's Ayers describing their typical, or never very typical, as it were, runs in the van expediting niche. Last year was um, very uh, untypical from what we would have done in the tractor trailer. And uh, we were probably home, um, you know, 45 out of 52 weekends last year. Uh, okay. we, were, we probably ran, oh, 140 to 150,000 miles last year in 2018. Uh, and we probably, if I had to say, I'd say we did that. And maybe maybe thirty weeks on the road, we you know we might be home for a week or two at a time, pretty frequently during a month. Uh, and we did a lot of deadhead, and I, I think that's the difference in the in the cargo van when you're able to get eighteen to twenty miles per gallon. If you're empty somewhere on a Thursday, 
and it comes down to having to wait till Monday or Tuesday to pick a load up, well, it's real easy just to say, okay, uh, we'll just drive 1,500 miles and, and we'll be home sometime, you know, tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow evening, and we'll spend the weekend at the house. And it doesn't cost as much, you know, obviously, to do that in the cargo van as it would the tractor trailer. Right. So, so we ended up uh, spending a lot more time at home, uh, which was a good thing. And and I think that was part of what we were looking for when we downsized to the cargo van. We knew there wouldn't be as many loads. We didn't expect to be running as hard, didn't want to be running as hard as we did with the tractor trailer. Uh, but what was interesting was we found out we actually made more money last year in the cargo van than we did the previous year in the tractor trailer. Uh, part of that's because mm-hmm. just our overhead and our expenses are lower. Well, remembering that probably close to half those, probably 40 to 50% of those miles were, yeah. were probably at deadhead miles, um, yep. I would say, uh, I'd say we we were averaging for all miles uh, after our fuel cost, we were probably averaging in the $1.25 to $1.40 a mile range. After fuel, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's after we paid our fuel, we are in that area. Um, yep. But again, typically when we're loaded, uh, we're in the typically we're in the minimum 250 a mile range when we're loaded. So that's that's not normal for a cargo van. We have a bit of an advantage, I think, that uh, that maybe a lot of others don't have, and that being that we're we're retired military, um, we don't yep. have to push to to bring in. Um, a cash flow, keep that cash flow going, even if it means we're only making a few pennies a mile uh, in order to meet our expenses. So we've, we've got a little bit of an advantage. We can say no uh, a lot more often than maybe some of the other folks can. In this day and age, um, you know, I don't know how new folks coming into the industry uh, are, are really able to do that without having something um, alongside, because, you know, you're your first year uh, in the Class A's and the tractor trailers, your first year um, basically is on-the-job training. Uh, I didn't see a whole lot of guys that I was working with and talking to that were making any money their first year. If they did, it was enough to eat, but hardly enough to, you know, to make yeah. a, uh, a house payment and take care of a family back home. So uh, I think what we're seeing is, is a lot of guys are retired from the military. Now, we were a little older. We, you know, we were in our 50s when we retired. When uh, there's a lot of people that are retiring in their 40s and they're looking for a second career, and uh, yep. you know, the truck driving industry just works real well then for them because they're they're able to uh, uh, to sustain for that year, year and a half, whatever it takes, you know, to get into a a good carrier that's uh, making some decent money out there. The heirs themselves certainly have found a profitable home at this point. Our talk then turned back to Fastlane Products of Oak Ridge in Tennessee, the small conversion company that upfitted their Sprinter with its unique sleeper. Here's Darren describing their work planning the build with Michael at Fastlane. Yeah, he's a great Um, guy. Great guy. Small little operation. We sat down and and talked over, you know, exactly what we wanted in it, how we wanted it configured, and uh, and he built it to our specs, and it just worked out really well. When it comes to you know climate control in the in the van, when you guys are are stopped um, with the auxiliary battery and the inverter we've got, we can run you know just a, a small little uh, 115 volt heater. Uh, everything's insulated 
back here really well. So we okay. get the little the little small or the the high medium low little electric heaters that do yeah. like seven hundred uh, seven hundred watts eight hundred watts or you put the two of them together and you get fifteen hundred and we just run it on a low um, low setting of seven hundred and with that we can run off the auxiliary battery and put heat back there for several hours then um, if we need to we just crank the engine and let it sit at idle. Um, yeah, and it'll it'll recharge that battery and provide plenty of uh, of electricity uh, to run the heater. We also have a rooftop air conditioner, and we went with the small one. Uh, in fact, I didn't even know they built one this small, but it's um it's a nine thousand two hundred BTU rooftop air, so it only pulls like twelve hundred uh, twelve hundred watts when the compressor's kicked in at the most, so it doesn't pull an awful lot of wattage. And we're able to run it for uh, a couple hours right off the auxiliary battery. Uh, or again, you know, we can um, fire up the engine. We can run it as long as we want. We've got a shore power plug on the outside. So we have considered, made plans to get a generator to take with us. But as it's turned out now over the last year and a half, we, we really didn't need it. Uh, so we didn't, because we don't sit anywhere very long. Now, if we were going to sit over a yeah. weekend someplace and wait, uh, we might do that, but with the shore power and the size of this cargo van, it's also very easy for us to just find a campground, uh, someplace that has a bathhouse since we don't have a shower toilet facility in the cargo van, but we can find a place that has got electricity, we can plug in, um, we can heat, cool if we need to stay the weekend, and then use the showers and the facilities and the bathhouse at, at any of the RV parks that are out there. Yeah, I mean that was one thing I was going to ask too. That that's a that's a particular advantage to uh, being in a smaller vehicle. Eh? It is. That's, you know, uh, we looked at the possibility of carrying a, a little porta potty with us or something, and then we got to thinking, well, why do we need that? We can pull into any gas station in the United States. The Air Sprinter is a, is diesel powered, but as Darren explains, gas options are available as well which other cargo van owners I've talked to have noted they've, uh, they now prefer as diesels have entered the greater emissions control era over the last decade and more. Darren's thinking much the same. Yeah, the, uh, the ones they're now building, they started this year building out of South Carolina. They offer a gas uh, option as well. And quite frankly, I would probably look seriously at going the gas option next time around. Uh, the price of diesel um, is just really getting significantly higher than gas. Um, yep. And, of course, that's where they're getting all the road taxes is they're getting it from the truckers out there and, and using it to offset other expenses. So that's, diesel's a lot higher. Uh, these small diesel motors are, are good, solid, high-torque motors. But since they had to go with the uh, diesel exhaust fluid and, and the DEF, the life and so I'm hearing anyway on these little diesel motors isn't near what it used to be. Uh, my expectation sure. is that I'll be in the 250 to 300,000 mile range, hopefully, uh, before I have to do anything significant with this motor. And of course, the gasoline engines today, it's easy to get 250, 300,000 miles out of one. So when you look at an initial purchase, then the gasoline engine is probably five to $8,000 lower on initial purchase than a diesel. And then you look at fuel costs, um, often uh, 40, you know, 30 to 40 percent lower for gasoline than it is for diesel out there in several places. 
then I get to thinking that, that, you know, the gas option may be a real good one to go with uh, now that Mercedes is building the, the gas uh, engines as well. Before, diesel was about the only option with the Mercedes. That's a wrap on this week's Overdrive Radio podcast. You can hear more about the cargo van niche in the expedited freight world in last week's edition and a talk about it with Load One's John Elliott. Watch for our feature story in the April Overdrive magazine, too, and more from my conversation with Darren Ayers in a future podcast episode. Till next time, whatever your niche, stay pro out there. <laughs>